Now I'm going to finish reading here in chapter uh, 8 here. I mean, still in Deuteronomy here. He's telling them, I'll bless you and you'll be a blessed above all people. No sicknesses, no diseases. And then he says over here in 8 and 11, but he says, beware, beware now. This is what he's, a, he's warning them in his word. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Verse 12, lest when thou hast eaten and art full. In other words, everything has been going so well with us, you know. Thou art eaten and full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. He didn't say added, multiplied. That's compounded, you know. Verse 14, then thine heart will be lifted up. Be careful. Your heart be lifted up uh, and thou forget the Lord thy God. You forget all about God and say, we don't need God anymore. Folks, I'm afraid America has, is getting into this place. I am, I'm fearful for our, our nation because when we were just a people struggling and, and we were a growing nation, it seemed like God blessed us as a nation and people had a fear of God and everybody worshiped God in some fashion or form. And now it's like, we don't need God. We got it all. We got everything. We don't have everything. We can lose it just like that. We can't. And I won't go any further with that, only to say that we need God and we'll always need God. And the Lord warned Israel, don't ever get to the place where you said that we'll, we can forget God. Who is God? God who, you know? And which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I'm reading verse 14. I'm jumping to 17 very quickly. Verse 17, 18. He says here, and thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Does that sound familiar, things that happen today? Huh? The Lord said, be careful, this never happens. This, and then he goes on to say in verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. He's the one that does it all. That's why when you go to church, don't sit here and do this. We owe God praise. You may not think you do, but you do. I may not think I do, but I do. We owe God praise and worship because he's the one that gives it all. You say, Brother Myers, I don't believe it. I don't care whether you believe it or don't believe it. It's in the word. And if you will accept the word and believe the word and follow the word, God's blessings will be upon us. Praise the Lord. I've been living for God since I was 16 years old. And uh, this, you know, I don't know, 60 years or so. You know, how many? <laughs> uh, let me just say this, folks. God has always been faithful. I told somebody one time, I said, I've never missed a meal. I've postponed a few, but never missed any. <laughs> you can see that, you know. But let me just say a, a word here. I, there have been a few times that I have gone to church and I was just dragging, you know. When I was a young guy, I was ready to go out and set the world on fire. But sometimes I was lucky just to keep one tail light burning, you know. <laughs> you know, just, just barely, just barely making it. But I've gone to church, and I'd just sort of squeak in that back door and flop down in that back pew. And I'd say, 
well, I'm here tonight, but I don't know. I'm just, everything in the world is upside down, you know. And the Spirit of God would begin to move. And I said, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but today I'm going to worship you. Now, I don't know if anybody else has ever been there or not. I don't know if anybody else has ever been there or not. But if we would just say, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to praise you, Lord. And I thank you, God. And just begin to worship and glorify God. And I would leave that service all just, just, reef, just filled and full and running over. One time I, I went to church and uh, I had a big problem. I didn't know what to do. I had to face a big problem. I didn't know how I was going to deal with it. I can't even remember the problem or, or, what, or anything about it now. But anyhow, I went down to the altar to pray. They said, everybody come down there. I went to the altar and I stood at the altar along with all, everybody else. And I lifted my hands with this big heavy problem on my heart. And immediately, immediately, I knew the answer. I just lifted my hands, began to praise God, and the Lord, just like he gave me the answer, just like I said, well, dear Lord, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I know what to do now. And that's what I did. Everything, everything, the problem was solved. I'm just trying to tell you here, if we will learn to say, Lord, it's you that has given us everything, that does everything that we are blessed with. You may say, Brother Myers, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole right now. You might be. And there's not a soul in here that hasn't been there at one time or another. And all of us have been there. But just keep on serving God. Keep on worshiping God. Praise the Lord. God will be with you and he will help you. And he'll help you through anything that you have. Amen. But God is faithful. God is good. And God is very kind to us. And he'll help us in all things. So when he got him into Canaan's land, he said, you have my word. Keep my word. I'll bless you. Don't ever forget. It's me that's blessing you. Always worship me. Always praise me. And always thank me. Now. I want to move into a second phase of this. And uh, while you're in Deuteronomy, I'm in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 7 and 8. I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 again, back to the previous chapter. And I'm going to look at verse 1. Because when the Lord says, when you go into Canaan's land, this is what I want you to do. This is what you've got to do. Now listen to me closely. We're talking about lessons in the Old Testament that is applicable to New Testament living, okay? Here's what it says in chapter 11. He says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the, Gerg- Gerg- the Gergeshites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, uh, and seven nations greater and mightier than thou, When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Now the Lord says, drive them out of the land. These people were excessively wicked. And they were were filled with all kinds of, this was God's judgment to them, was Israel coming in and taking the land. And the Lord says, now I want you to drive them out. And, uh, and so he tells them, this is what you've got to do. This is what I want you to do. Down in verse 5, but this shall be, this shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images. I'm still here in verse chapter 7, verse uh, 5 now. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves. They had things where they would worship the gods of the groves. 
and burned their, uh, their graven images with fire. And then other places all through the scriptures, he talked to them, make sure you drive out these heathen that are before you. Don't make covenants with them. The Lord said that to them and everything. Okay, that's what, you got to do that. When they went into Canaan's land, they started driving out the heathen. And then they said, you know what? We sort of like these people. We sort of like uh, the old king. We like him. We'll spare him. Uh, we sort of, uh, we'll, we'll make a covenant with this group. If you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone and everything. And they got to the place. Finally, they said, we're tired of fighting the battle. We want to just farm the land and then go back and start plowing the ground, farming the land. And they left the enemy in the land. And what happened was that the enemy that they left in Canaan's land became a snare unto them. And Israel went to, through 400 years of what was called the roller coaster period, in which they would serve God for a season, and then they would fall into sin because of the people of the land who would entice them to get involved with their worship, their gods, whatever it might be, and they would get involved. Let me just say this, and I'm not going to go any further with it. I've studied these things. I know that I know about them. But the pagan worship of gods and idols back then, folks were so filthy and so ungodly. And so the Lord called it an abomination. He said, they are an abomination to me. It was, they were involved in so much stuff that I wouldn't even, wouldn't even tell you in private. All the, the wicked stuff that they were involved in and the worship of their gods. And somehow or another, they would get these Jews who believed in worshiping one God, they would get them involved in try it out. Just do this and do that and do this and do this and do that and so forth. And the next thing you know, they didn't drive out the enemy. Now let me just say this. This is the lesson involved here. When God saved us, there are some things that he wanted us to drive out of our lives. We're talking about individuals now. Now, everybody didn't have the same problem, but some people had uh, drug problems. And you had to drive those drugs problems. You had to quit it. You couldn't just, you know, hang on to drugs and say, well, I want to keep a little marijuana on the side, and, you know, and I'll give up cocaine or whatever it is. You, you couldn't do that. The, or, or I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll give up drinking, but I'm going to have my beer at the end of the day, you know, when I get through working and so forth. And so I like my beer once, you know, once a day, just a bottle of beer. That's all. You know, you can't just say, I'll tolerate some and not drive it all out of your life. You know, uh, I had a good friend that uh, uh, he was, uh, he's getting along good. He's good, you know, living for God, serving the Lord, walking with God. And uh, he had a little med- a medical problem and he was taking uh, some medication for it. And the doctor told him, said, you know what? If you took a little wine every day, you wouldn't have to take this medication. Really? He said, yeah. And the doctor said it'd be cheaper too. Not condemning the doctor. The doctor was just speaking from a natural standpoint. He said, that wine is probably do for you just about what the, the, those, little, those little pills I'm giving you is, is doing for you. So, all right, so he started drinking a little bit of wine. And then the wine went to one glass to two every evening, and then three. And the next thing you know, he was starting to get intoxicated a little bit. But he'd come back around, he'd be all right. And then the next thing you know, he, was, he had a little getaway place where that he'd 
he and his wife and family sometimes would just get away from town, you know, outside town. It wasn't far away. He got where he'd go over there by himself and just get drunk. And here the guy was a Christian, you know, and he just fell into that, lost his soul, lost out with God. All because he never just drove out the enemy. Amen. I, was, I started years ago. I started taking a, some kind of, you know, I had a tri- triple bypass surgery. The doctor said, you got to take this little pill. I said, all right. And then one day he said to me, if you take a little wine, you won't have to take that pill. He told me that. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't touch wine. I, don't, I mean, I know, I know wine in the Bible. Let me say this. Wine in the Bible in the natural way was different than what you buy wine in the store today. Believe me, it is. It has only, it has, it's less than a 14% alcohol content. That that you buy in stores today has got at least a 28% alcohol content. They add alcohol to it just to make it the wine that people prefer, you know. I'm not going to go any further with that, but I, I know all that too. You've got to just drive things out of your lives. Let me go another step. Porno. Porno. Hey, guys, drive that mess out of your life. Those are things you allow to stay in the land, in your life, in your heart, in your soul. Whatever it is, drive that mess out of your life. Get rid of it. I've told people, I said, if watching TV or anything on TV or your computer, and I know everybody laughs when I say it, but if you're watching stuff on your computer that you know you I said, take that computer or that TV out in the backyard and take your best shotgun and blow it to bits. I mean, make a statement. I am not going to do this stuff, watch this stuff, follow this mess. I'm going to walk with God. And I'm telling you, we have to drive out. And the Lord told Israel, he said, he didn't say, I'm going to drive them out before you. He said, I'll make cases and everything where they will be driven out before you. (coughs) Excuse me. But you've got to drive it out. You've got to drive them out. Praise the Lord. But I will make it possible for you to drive them out. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the power. I'll give you what you need. And I will give them the weakness that, that could come upon them or delusion or whatever it is so that they will flee before you. And the Lord told them that. But he says, you have got to drive it out. That's why the Bible in here says, let us do this and let us do that. Praise the Lord. There's things that we have to do. So I'm just saying here that when you go into Canaan's land, praise the Lord, folks, you've got to drive out the heathen. That's lessons from the Old Testament for us in Christian living in the new. Praise the Lord. They had to drive out the heathen in the land. We have to drive out little sins and, and things in your life and things that's been hanging on there, smoking cigarettes. Get rid of those cigarettes. My Lord, people just, oh, I'm almost, I think I'm going to make it. I think I'm, hey, just get rid of them, throw it away, forget it. I don't know, you may, you may, I don't know whatever happens to you when you don't smoke anymore. I don't know what, it, but go through it and just get rid of it and get it out of your life. Everybody say, praise the Lord. But drive it out of your life. If you don't, it'll stay there and it'll haunt you and haunt you. And you'll find yourself battling it, battling it, battling And Israel battled those nations for years and years and years afterwards. They did. Now, I'm going to go to another. I got 15 minutes here and I'm going to bring you one more subject here that I want to mention to you. And <clears throat> David came along about 400 years later, 500 years, whatever. And uh, David brought something to Israel 
that they had never had before. He brought to them the value of worship. Now, I'm going to show you something in the scriptures here, and a lot of people don't quite know what it means. I'm going to explain it to you. Look at Amos chapter 9, verse 11. Amos 9, 11. See if I can find it myself. Hang on a minute. I got it here someplace. There we go. All right. Look at 9-11. This is a prophecy here. In that day, while I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as the days of old. Tabernacle of David. Wait a minute. I know about the tabernacle of Moses. But what was the tabernacle of David? You know, I don't remember in tabernacle of David. It was the tabernacle of Moses. God gave Moses and the children of Israel the tabernacle plan in the wilderness. And it was their church in the wilderness. It was a tent and they could take it down, put it together, march with it, and then they could set it back up again and so forth. When they got to Canaan's land, they set it up in Shiloh and it stayed there for many years and so forth. He said, now take this and do this. Now over in the... A book of Acts, uh, this is referred to in one of the scriptures here. Let me read it to you. Uh, where I think it's James who is speaking. This is the prophet, uh, the apostle James, chapter 15 and verse 3. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, and this, then he began to speak unto them. This is what he says in verse 16. He said, After this I will return, and he's recording here from Amos. After this, I will return and build and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins wherein I will set it up. And he goes on to talk about then the building of the tabernacle of David. What is the tabernacle of David? The tabernacle of David was what David discovered about God when he sought him with all of his heart. The Bible says that God said he is a man after mine own heart. David has locked on to something that I wished all of Israel would lock on to. And that is that if you will praise me and worship me, I will be so very pleased with that and I will bless you and living for God will become so much easier, better and greater than anything you will have ever known. Because all Israel did before that was to follow his word and to just simply obey. Obey the word of God. That's wonderful. That's powerful. That is, uh, that is a great thing. But to worship him and glorify him is to come to the place where God wants you to understand how great he is and how wonderful he is and to praise him from your heart, not just from a commandment. And David came to understand that. He was out in the wilderness and he'd take care of those sheep. Nobody was around. He learned to play the harp. He began to sing songs. God gave him songs on the harp. He played them. He sang and he learned to worship God and glorify God and praise God and lift up the name of the Lord in a way that nobody else ever had. And when David became king of Israel, the first thing he says we're going to do is that we're going, to, we're going to bring that tabernacle to Jerusalem. And he brought that old, you know, sheepskin and all that badger skin uh, and leather stuff 
He brought all of that stuff to Jerusalem. And when he did it, he did it with worship and worship and worship and worship and worship and worship. They said, my Lord, we've never seen so much worship in our life. And he says, this is what it's all about. He assigns men. He said, you guys are going to sing songs of praise. You guys are going to be worshipers. And he set up these men. And he's king now. And instead of saying, come on, we're going to go out here and fight somebody or we're going to go to war or somebody. No, no. We're going to start worshiping God. And he introduced them to worship folks. And they began to worship God and glorify God and magnify God and lift up the name of the Lord and begin to praise God. And God began to move mightily. And David grew Israel uh, by, by ten, 10 times, not 10, not 10 steps, but 10 times he, he caused Israel to grow. Israel became the, one of the greatest powers on the face of the earth in his day. And I'm saying it because David said, let's praise God and let's worship God. It became his theme. It became the thing that David believed in. He was once someone who just believed in worship. And uh, much of his songs is all about his praise. This is interesting to note, but the word praise, I think you count them on one hand, your fingers on one hand, how many times praise is found in the Bible before David? Check it out. I've already checked it out. The word worship, the same thing. The word worship is almost the same way. You, you don't hardly find it more than five, six times before David's time. They were obedient to the word. They followed the word or they were not obedient. They followed the, Lord, the word. They tried to be faithful in those things, but they never learned the value of worship. And whenever David came, David says, this is what God wants us to really learn is to worship him, glorify him, praise him, and magnify him because it is in that environment that God will move greatly and he will move mightily, praise God. And so David began to introduce them to this great thing of worship. I want you to, uh, I want you to go with me, if you would, to Psalms 145 for just a moment. Let me show you this. I don't know if it's in your Bible or not, but in 145 it says, David's Psalm of Praise. The whole psalm, there's 21 verses here. I'm not going to read it to you. But if you read it sometimes, Psalms 145, the whole one is all about praising God. It's all about praise. It's just a psalm, a song. They wrote, Lord, I'm just going to write a song about praising you. Praise the Lord. Now, if you read chapter, uh, Psalms 146, 147, 148, 149, and 155 psalms at the very end of the book of Psalms are all about praise. It's all about praise. The 146, one starts out, praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. 147 starts out by reading in verse 1, praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. If you, if you read the 148th, praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens, praise ye in the heights. Verse 149, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song. Go forth. And when you get to Psalms 150, it's, it's six verses and all of it is about praise. Look at, look at 150. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him in his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psalter and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel. Some people don't believe in instruments. 
<laughs> music instruments. Well, they had them in the Bible. Praise the Lord. I'll, I'll leave it there. Praise him with the timbrel, the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and the organs. That's why if you see everybody, anybody ever dancing before the Lord and we're worshiping God, it's in the Bible. <laughs> Amen. It's worship. Praise him upon the loud cymbal. Folks, you don't always know where some people have come from. You know, just because a person dancing in the spirit doesn't mean they've come out of deep sin either. It doesn't mean that. But I'm just saying, you know, you just never know what trial they just came through. But thank God for just good old-fashioned worship. And I'm telling you, if we will worship God, God will bless and pour out his blessings in his spirit. And God's blessing this church. He is blessing this church because you are a people who worship. Don't ever stop. Verse 5, praise him with the loud cymbals, praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. It ends with that. Praise the Lord. That's the very last psalm in the book of in, in the book of Psalm, in the book of Psalms. So I'm just telling you here today, David introduced praise, and this is what Israel had. And when they lost that tabernacle of praise, as it was called, because David introduced it in the tabernacle. Then when the temple was built, it was introduced in the temple because Solomon carried it on and completed that in that manner. Praise God. Now, I want to leave one more thought with you. I've got five minutes, and this is my last lesson from the Old Testament for the New, and this to do with Solomon. So David's son came along. God granted him to be the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon was so smart, so smart. Uh, and uh, he, he made a mistake. He tried to override the wisdom of God with his own wisdom. He thought he was so wise that his wisdom was greater than God's wisdom that's found in God's word. God's word sometimes is so simple, and his wisdom is so simple. But Solomon, in his great wisdom, felt like that his wisdom was greater than God's word that was filled with wisdom in one particular instance. And I'm going to read a couple of verses to you here, and I'm going to finish up here and close out. I want to read over here in Deuteronomy, if you will, with me. Look in uh, 1714. 1714, when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God should give it thee and shall possess it, thou shalt dwell then, thou shalt say, and shalt say, I was set a king over me, like all, as all nations that were before me. And then it goes on to say, I'm saving time here. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Solomon did all of that. He, he multiplied wives to himself. Verse 20, that his heart be not turned, lifted up rather, above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment. So what the Lord was saying warned the king don't go trying to add wives to, your, to yourself because if you do that, you're going to create problems that you never had. And don't go to Egypt for your horses and don't go to Egypt for your wives. He told them that. That's exactly what Solomon did. Now let me tell you why he did that before I read the last verses here to you. The re- what Solomon did, being so smart, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's <clears throat> a lot of... There's a big household of women. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh. It is funny. But let me tell you why he did that. 
Because Solomon reasoned, if I would marry the daughter of, a, of, of, of Pharaoh, her father would be my father-in-law and I'd be his son-in-law. And, and we're not going to go to war. We can sit down and talk. If I, if I marry this Zidonian princess, her father and I will be kin, you know, like father-in-law, son-in-law, and we're not going to go to war. Solomon never fought any battles. He didn't have to. He got smarted at all. He was smart. He married all their daughters. He had the wealth and the money because God gave it to him. Therefore, he could afford all of them. Yeah, yeah, marry all these wives and everything. He's everybody's son-in-law. This is, yeah, Solomon's my son-in-law. Solomon's brother-in-law. We're all big, happy family, you know. So he, with his own wisdom of saying, if I marry all of these wives, I'll be the son-in-law of all these kings, and we won't have any battles to fight, no more wars to fight. And so Solomon had it all figured out, right? I'm going to tell you what the Bible says over here in the scriptures. Uh, I'm going to read this one in 2 Kings. This is where Solomon actually, it's all about Solomon. Chapter 11, verse 1. But Solomon, King Solomon, loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. And down in verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princes, princesses, and 300 concubines. He, these 100, 700 wives were all princesses. And 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. You know, he never considered that. Verse 4, for it came to pass when Solomon was old. He's older now, more mellow. All the fire and the fight and life's gone sort of waning in him. That his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Do you see that? And his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. And what happened with Solomon was that the Lord says, when you die, your kingdom's going to be split. Israel's going to be divided into two, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Now, I'm telling you that because your wisdom and my wisdom, folks, I don't care how smart we are, will never override the word of God. It will never be greater than the word of God. God's word sometimes is so very simple, you know. Jesus said, if a man smite you in one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. No way. Not me, Jose. No way, you know. But in that statement is wisdom. I, you know, I, I may not fully understand it, but it's there. There's all kinds of things, you know. Pray for your enemies. What, me pray for my enemies? Jesus said, yes. But see, in the word of God, there is wisdom. And the wisdom is greater. The gr wisdom is greater than any wisdom that we may have. And God gives us wisdom. He does give us wisdom. He said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask for God who gives freely. You know, the wisdom of God. So I'm just saying to all of us here today, if we will say, God, I accept your word the way it is. <clears throat> Whatever your word says, however your word teaches it, I want to believe it. I want to hold fast to it. I want to obey it. The Bible says be baptized in Jesus' name. I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. The Bible says that you should be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says neglect not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is seeing that they're approaching. You know, that we should all come together to worship God and glorify God like we, like we are here this morning. All of these admonitions that are given unto us 
Thank God. We are to say, God, if your word says it, we hold fast. And no smartness of mine, no so-called wisdom of mine can be greater than what God's word says. If it wasn't with Solomon, neither shall it be with us. Solomon lost out at the very end. I mean, had everything life could give you. And he lost it out because he thought he was a little bit smarter than what God's word that says, don't do this, don't do that. But he did it anyhow because he was so smart. So we have to say, God, your word supersedes all things. How many of you believe that this morning? Thank God for his word. Believe the word, walk in the word, obey the word, and worship God, especially when you come to the house of God. When you come to church, folks, don't just sit there, worship God and glorify him. There are some places you can't worship God. You cannot worship. They won't let you. Some places in the world, they won't let you worship God. I've been some places like that over in Russia. And you can worship God in this church this morning. Amen. Thank God that we can. Let's stand together and let's worship God and glorify him.